With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to Off Talk Empire, where we're going to preview what is it going to be week four, week whatever. Week four, as far as we're concerned, the week Big el- Ten, week eleven, if you're going by the old calendar before, yeah, you know, before everything changed. So we begin with a Friday night special. We're back to doing this again for some reason. Iowa at Minnesota for the pig on a Friday night. The line here opened as a pick'em has now shifted to Iowa minus three. That's pig'em. Yeah. I, I assume the line movement here was inspired somewhat by Iowa's result against Michigan State, but Minnesota achieved a similar outcome against Illinois. So I have to admit, I don't understand the line movement. Honestly, a pick'em felt about right here. Well, feel like it depends. Does this game hit the over? If so, I think Minnesota. If it's the under, I think Iowa. Because that's ultimately what it's going to be like. you got to assume that Minnesota's defense is more what it looked like the first two weeks than it looked against Illinois. Um, so it's going to, you know, the important matchup is going to be can Iowa's offense, basically can Iowa keep pace with Minnesota's offense? Yeah, and the over-under here is 56, which would seem to militate more in Iowa's favor. I think Iowa probably keeps up if the game gets even into the upper 20s, but if it goes much higher than that, then yeah, I would probably think that it favors Minnesota. These are both one and two teams. You know, Minnesota's definitely got the two, the star playmakers in this game, but Iowa's definitely got the better overall team, I think. They, they have fewer weaknesses in that. So of the four units here, you can make the argument that Minnesota's offense is the best, but the gap between them, the Iowa defense, and the Iowa offense, and then there's a huge fall-off toward the Minnesota defenses. So they've got the strongest of the four major units that are involved in this game, but also the weakest by a pretty wide mark. Yeah, um, and I guess it's safe to say that if we're, if we're talking about you know star power versus what the team does, that Iowa is probably going to have a higher success rate as far as setting up the plays, whereas Minnesota is going to hit them more often. We saw this a lot in the first half against Michigan State. They set up a lot of plays really nicely and then completely failed to execute them. Not that it made, made a difference. Yeah, I mean, it, again, but, but yeah. it'll make a difference against Minnesota, <laughs> which has a much more cohesive offense. Yeah, you figure that you're you're not going to be able to rely on your opponent stumbling over itself when they have the ball for most of the game. So the pressure is going to be a little higher on Iowa if they miss some of those plays early on the same way they did against MSU. That's fair to say. I think. Yeah, it, it, Spencer Petras has a long way to go. Uh, there were a lot of easy throws that he missed, especially when he got... Especially on anything that wasn't just straight drop back into the pocket. There were screen passes that, you know, that just had, that, that were instant touchdowns that he just couldn't, you know, he just couldn't put the right touch on the ball or he, he just didn't locate his guy uh, in time. So he's going to need to be a lot better because they're not, you know, because Michigan State's offense is not the same as Minnesota's. 
Right. Just rehashing this. So if you were to pick this game, I think I'd probably take Iowa to win. But as far as whether I'm confident they'll even cover that three-point line, I can't say that. This is this opened as a pick em for a reason. I think it's going to be very close. Uh, we'll see. This will be another very useful data point. Again, usually by the time we get three or four games into the conference season, we've got like six or seven games to go off of altogether. Yeah. We don't have that luxury here yet. We're still figuring out where all these teams are relative to each other and what one data point means relative to another. So. Well, this game feels so much like it's going to come down to a kick that I can't <laughs> help but not only say I favor Iowa, but that I also say it goes against Minnesota because... <laughs> the, one of their losses this year was on a missed extra point. Their kicking game was blasted by COVID, although I wonder if Minnesota might be getting most of those guys back who were out for COVID. I get that is not coming back. They may not get everybody back, but... They, they didn't really disclose a lot of the situation if it was people staying away from the team for COVID reasons, true. or yeah. if it were people that were was people that were in their protocols. We have typically known when somebody is opting out for the whole year for those reasons. For example, I mentioned Fa'alele, like they said, yeah, he ain't doing it. But that I don't think that information was shared about the rest of them. So I had assumed that all those other guys, you know, the kicker, the power, the long snapper, and the linebacker who was missing were all going to be coming back at some point. I don't believe any of them have played yet, but even with the Big Ten's protocol, there doesn't seem to be any way that they could miss another game if that's the reason they were out. Yeah, um, and... You know, again, we we don't know if held up, you know, if missing games due to COVID for Minnesota means that they had positive tests or that they just, you know, were were given the option to make their own decision earlier in the season or whatever. There's just so much we don't know. Yeah. So moving to something that I think we do know, Indiana favored by nine traveling to Michigan State. On behalf of my program, I would seek leave of Commandant Allen that he receive emissaries that we might seek agreeable terms for the surrender of the old brass platoon. I feel like I want to hammer that line, Indiana minus nine. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll put it this way. Indiana's either going to cover that line or they're going to lose outright. Because yeah, some there's things no do. It's true, like, look, I know we just got done saying in the recap of last week that Indiana has dispelled a lot of their old demons, and they sure have. They don't have quite the same history of Michigan State there that they do with Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State, but they've lost some games against Michigan State that they really shouldn't have the last few years. The the Hoosier offense is also wonky enough in some ways that maybe if Michigan State is disciplined with their own turnovers, this game stays closer longer than it should because, as we said, you know, Indiana was basically in a yardage perspective right there toe-to-toe with Michigan. They just had the wisdom to hold on to the ball longer and sustain drives. We've already seen an outcome against Penn State where they did need some turnover luck to pull it out, but that Penn State offense is way better than Michigan State's. <laughs> there's, you know, and there's really no... So what we've seen from Michigan State is if your team has a terrible weakness, their coaching staff is good enough to pick it out and find a way to beat it. That's what happened in the Michigan game. But what we've also seen when they saw an opponent in Iowa that really doesn't have any fundamental weaknesses and an opponent in Rutgers that was more of an unknown is their their base stuff, the stuff they would run if they didn't have a specific nail to hammer is not going to win them many games this year. So Indiana just has such a versatile offense. Not in the way that Ohio State does in that there are tons of ways that they can score touchdowns on you immediately, but they have all these different ways that they can continue to move the ball against you, yeah. right? They, they have guys that can go and make contested catches down the field. They have guys that can make catches in traffic. Penix can hit those throws. Penix can scramble if he's not 
adequately covered. They can run the ball between the tackles. They can make hay in the screen game. And again, these are things that they do at a functional enough level to move the ball. They don't have a lot of real glaring weaknesses, things that they can't do on offense, other than just, you know, they don't have burners. Yeah, about all I can say is that there are some philosophical similarities between this defense and what Michigan does in that they are aggressive all the time, and it does put a lot on their defensive backs. Now, Indiana's defensive backs are better than Michigan's, so that strategy has worked out for them, and they're, they really do feel like their coaching staff has more of a pulse on what buttons to push at the right time. There is a possibility that their, game, that their defensive game plan exposes them to the one thing Michigan State has shown itself to be good at, which is throwing the deep ball. Yeah, so I, I was going to ask you, if this game were to turn out in Michigan State's favor, how who's got the most eye-opening stat line? Probably Rocky Lombardi. That's that's really because... The 20 yards per completion? <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be that, but I do not picture there be... I mean, look, the truth of it is Indiana's defensive line is really nothing special, and that's why they have this sort of aggressive attacking scheme to cover up for the fact that if they were to rush three or four, they would never get home and they'd get carved up. So t- keeping in mind that they're going to be run blitzing constantly, against the Michigan State team that I think is probably going to still try to establish their base stuff. I don't see any way that MSU runs the ball effectively. If they're going to win this game, it's going to be because Rocky Lombardi looked more like he did against Michigan. Or, (laughs) again, I don't really know what his injury status is. Maybe they go to a backup, in which case all bets are off. They're probably going to lose by 30. They're, they're, it's not impossible for MSU to win this game. I thought they had a decent chance of beating Iowa last week too, though, and we saw how that went. So again, I, I think Indiana from a physical standpoint is in MSU's ballpark, but they've been running what they run for so much longer and it's working so much better. There's no reason to think that Indiana's not going to win this game comfortably. It feels like there's just so much volatility in the results this year, right? It seems like sure. not not only can any game go in any given way, but it can go that way by a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, Mar- Maryland Penn State's the biggest example for me. I mean, I mean, I didn't see Mar- there was no chance that Maryland was going to win that in a blowout. I could maybe have seen Maryland winning that one just with a series of dick trips by Penn State, but dominate that game start to finish. I wasn't sure Michigan State would win last week, but I didn't think we'd lose by 42 to an 0-2 Iowa team that had looked completely anemic on offense. So Yep, so there's there's two things. There's two things that are exempt from volatility, and that's Ohio State and Illinois. (laughs) Which is, hey, look, sometimes it's nice to have that stability. And speaking of... On any given Saturday, any team that is not Ohio State can lose and any team that is not Illinois can win. Man, that is an even longer, even longer anagram than what we had, or not anagram, um, mnemonic than what we had last year. Speaking of Illinois though, it is time once again for that most hallowed and respected of Big Ten rivalries, Illinutkers. Well, that is the one thing because on paper, Rutgers is a seven point favorite and they should probably be more because, you know, just one of the teams looks like they've got a pretty capable coach coaching it. And the other looks kind of like they have a coach that's checked out. Um, now, are you encouraged at all by the fact that Rutgers' one win required their opponent to turn it over seven times, and they have otherwise lost by at least three scores? Well, game? I might be, if not for the fact that at one point last week, our coach <clears throat> declined a pass interference penalty um, on what was ruled a catch by Josh Bebe that would have taken it to a third and four um, were it complete. So he declined a pass interference penalty that would have made it a first and ten, instead choosing to take the reception at a third and four. He chose a third and four 
over a first and ten. The only reason, and he ironically got bailed out by the fact that the booth reviewed the catch and overturned it and said it was not a catch. Uh, of course, I wonder if that meant if that meant that the penalty was automatically enforced because who's to say that he wouldn't have chosen third and ten over first and ten ten yards down the field? It took us forever I, to figure out what had happened because it's the seemed... broadcast didn't mention it because they they certainly thought that something had some wires had to have been crossed somewhere. Like they can't really be seeing what they think they're seeing, <laughs> right? So. Th- there's just no way that's happening, so let's not bother to report let's not, it. Let's just not talk about it, and maybe it won't be true. <laughs> I, man. I talk about funny things that Ron Zook did in game management. I've never seen anything like this. Uh, <laughs> the only thing that comes close was when the Chicago Bears uh, called a timeout and then threw a challenge, which they lost and were always going to lose, on a botched punt on fourth and ten where they were challenging a spot that they were five yards short their coach was lovey smith in one play they lost a challenge and two timeouts and turned it over on downs (laughs) it's it's (laughs) mind-blowing lovey smith is an artist (laughs) but like in like a very andy warhol kind of way where it's like is this art well you know what what is not art in one sense well (laughs) sitkowski is art but (laughs) Gers. Anyway, this game is at Rutger, and I, I I just don't know what what to make of this because I I guess the 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 only thing that really gives me any hope is the fact that we keep getting turnovers. But I think the defense is going to the Illinois defense is going to need to score at least two touchdowns for them to win this game because I don't know that Peters or no that. Peter Brandon Peters is not going to return for Illinois. We know this because he had a positive COVID test and he hasn't cleared the 21-day period yet. Isaiah Williams is slated to return, but I don't know that he has that much more upside than Karan Taylor. Um, oh, I, I think he does. I mean, it, he upside in the sense that his athletic potential is much more considerable. I don't think his realistic production this year is maybe much higher than Taylor's. But, but... I'm saying upside for purpose of this game. Oh, no. Then no, he doesn't. Yeah, that's Taylor's, what I mean. Taylor's I meant got almost... for purpose of this game. Taylor yes. now has a game and change under his belt of actually playing. And no, he wasn't great, but he wasn't terrible. So, Well, if Illinois does, in fact, fire Lovey Smith and then go with the we-give-up route and hire offensive coordinator Rod Smith. Isaiah Williams could be the guy to save the program. And I I bring up the, we give up, let's just hire a guy route because that's produced results at about the same rate that hiring a pretty well-regarded guy has. Um, Because- Are you talking about Bill Cubitt or Beckman? Oh, well, obviously not when Illinois does it, but I'm talking about like (laughs) when, well, Indiana, okay? Kevin Wilson left. And they had a choice to make. They promoted from within. And it was kind of... Even though they were firing the old coach because of a culture thing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that one, not so much. But, like, Mike Loxley seemed like a very questionable wave the white flag. Who else are we going to get to come here with more upside thing after the situation that they had? True. And there's suddenly a lot of evidence that that's going to work out a little better than at least what, you know... Matt Canada would have done. I'm hesitant to go there just yet. They've got, sure, look, they've looked a lot better the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we might, again, yeah. That Carl might... Durrell just beat Chip Kelly in Colorado. Right. We, Chip well, Kelly was the, all right, we're swinging for the fences and we're doing it. Carl Durrell was, oh my God, I... they took our coach in March. 
I don't think that's who Chip Kelly was for UCLA. I think that's who he was when the Eagles hired him. I don't think he's that guy anymore. I don't think, no, that's, that's not his, my, his hire was met with much fanfare at UCLA because it was seen as a thing where this guy wasn't a good fit for the NFL, but, mm. but now we're back in the Pac-12 where he was great. Yeah, I wonder. Anyway. Sources, citations needed. On anyway, uh, I'll give you an, it ought to give you an idea the fact that I'm talking about what happens when coaches are hired and fired, um, how I'm feeling about this particular game. Well, you know, let's get to what most years would be kind of a marquee game, given the absolute majesty of the teams involved. Penn State, four-point favorite, traveling to Nabarcus. Ah, Nabarcus hosts an 0-3 team. Somebody technically has to win this game. Um, Penn State's front against this multi-option Nebraska offense could be pretty interesting. It's going to put, you know, this is a an offense that puts a lot of pressure on opposing defensive players, especially ends and linebackers, so... That's going to be inter- that's going to be an interesting interplay to watch. Penn State is the more talented team by a mile, but that was true for them against Maryland as well. And as we mentioned in the recap, there are some indications that Penn State's problems this year might not be solvable this year. Nebraska, I think, is a different question. Obviously, the the big issue for them is what what are they going to do with their quarterback situation? When Luke McCaffrey came in last week, he was okay. I mean, not good enough to get them a win over vaunted opponent Northwestern, but he was okay. And so I wonder if they might roll with him from the start and see what he can do with a full week as the starter with starter wraps under his belt. That seems like the smart play to me. When you're already 0-2, what does the season really mean anyway? Why don't you give McCaffrey a little bit more rope and see what he can do yeah and for Penn State you know we're gonna just continue wondering what they're doing this year um because again this is Penn State is a program that is not entirely wrong to view its place as how do we position ourselves for a national title run just based on the talent that they've been able to acquire and how that means everything in today's college football yeah and And they're 0-3 right now they're not going to win the east the natural question is always in these situations is always going to be well what do we do about quarterback shouldn't we consider playing another quarterback because what we've seen from Clifford is that he's plenty good but if especially against good opponents he's not going to be able to win them games by himself so if you take that as true look they've got options on this roster there I mean Will Levis is the next guy up on the depth chart but we mentioned before last season before Clifford was anointed the starter they had a then true freshman into Quan Roberson who was a much vaunted like high four-star dual threat who really hasn't played yeah that's right I saw him I saw him listed as a DTQB, and I thought defensive tackle slash quarterback? You knew damn well (laughs) that's not what that meant. You were just being cheeky. So I would be interested if I was Penn State in seeing certainly what the backup in Levis is capable of in a real game situation, certainly what the guys further down the depth chart are capable of. And look, they haven't hesitated again. Even though they have Devin Ford, who could have carried the load at running back, they got Keziah Holmes in there. He's a freshman. So uh, they've done the same thing with Kevon Lee, playing guys further down the depth chart. I wonder if we don't start to see that in other places on the roster. Now, again, the way that they call games these days, you will not be able to tell if they're rotating guys in because the announcers can't be bothered to list most of the starters anymore. They're never going to keep up with guys who are coming in and out of the games unless that guy makes a big play or gets a big play made upon him. So, yeah. In all likelihood, though, we see the big red dog against big red. And what else is 
also sure of this game is that whoever loses it is definitely going to tell themselves that this is 2020 and they weren't really trying that hard. Oh yeah, and it doesn't count. Doesn't even count. We didn't even really want to play. That's going to be a revision that's going to be hard to But get that's to. incredible, actually, <laughs> when you consider where, where Nabarcus <coughs> is coming from last year, uh, where both of these programs were last year, and Penn State is a four-point favorite. Yeah, but again, it's... You are what your record says you are, right? And yeah. Penn State's an 0-3 team coming off a pretty sound beating at the hands of Maryland. So, yeah, what they are right now is a team that can't run the ball, that's been pretty vulnerable on defense, and you're going to a place that's tough to play. So even, again, even keeping in mind the crowd restrictions, I think it feels about right. I'd probably take Penn State to win and to cover. I see actually the line is now at three. Penn State 3.5, but you get the idea. So, yeah, I don't know what else to make of this game other than the fact that, look, Penn State's got more talent. They should still win, but that hasn't helped them much this year. Yep, absolutely. So Penn State beats Nebarcus. Ohio State, Maryland. Line here, the one I'm looking at has moved down to 25.5. It opened at like 27. I don't know what to expect of this game, but I will say that Whatever the outcome is, it's probably not going to be within 10 points of that line. This feels like either Maryland gives them a real fight and keeps it very close, or they get absolutely blown the hell out. Everything, all the positive stuff that we thought we knew about Maryland gets wiped away in an instant, and we're right back to, man, Moxley's a clown. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's got all this talent, but he can't do anything with it. I feel like it's one of those two outcomes for sure. I don't think this game is in that 20 to 30 point range. It's either an absolute sandblasting or it's close. Well, part of me just instinctually wants to say that what I expect to happen is for Ohio State to see that somebody else is getting headlines, somebody is getting uppity, and we need to maintain order we need to regulate and just go in there and win 66 to nothing but on the yeah. other hand why wouldn't they have then done that against Rutgers well when you say somebody else is getting headlines I, were you referring to Maryland just now <laughs> yeah I guess no it's that I don't because I didn't understand when you threw in that note about Rutgers at the end like what what do you mean Rutgers wasn't getting any headlines going into this game into the game last week against Ohio State well I mean they, they got credit for doing something that was above their station in life well sure but and it, the social order must be maintained. That is Ohio State's guiding philosophy. Right, but look, I, I don't think this is a season where Ohio State feels they have to win every game by... So, all right, for what, two things are true. First of all, Ohio State is not lost yet, so as long as they keep winning, they're going to be in the playoff field. And there's not enough top... The, the broader college football landscape is not top-heavy enough that Ohio State's going to have to be undefeated for sure by substantial margins. Like, there's no risk of there being five undefeated teams. Absolutely not. The Big 12 right. already has one. They'll, they'll ignore yeah. the Pac... The Big, the Big 12's already out of undefeated teams. They'll ignore the Pac-12 anyway. They'll never let a group of five team in, no matter how good Cincinnati well, no, I, so is. I, they will never let a group of five team in. I agree with there. Oregon going undefeated could could get them in the field. That is true. I their game did get canceled. But then beyond that, you've got Alabama. Clemson's probably going to get in with one loss when they beat Notre Dame by 40. And that loss is probably going to kick Notre Dame out. So Well, not to mention, though, how many more games will Notre Dame play? Right. So that's kind of an unknown, too. So for all these reasons, I don't know that Ohio State necessarily feels the need to roll it up against Maryland. Maybe they do look at the fact that they gave up some points to Rutgers last week and said, look, you know what? We got to button some things up here because 
even if it's backups who are in there doing it, it's still you're still running the same schemes defensively. So maybe there are some things you want to tighten up and you keep the, put, the foot on the gas a little more firmly in this one. Are they perhaps benevolent overlords and say, hey, look, we'll let you get a highlight real play in here every now and then. We want to... We want to make this a mutually beneficial exchange here, okay? We're going to get what we came for, but we'll throw you a bone here. Um, if they were, I don't know why it would be to Maryland necessarily. Uh, no. Well, basically what we're saying is that Ohio State uh, Ohio State wins this game. It's just a matter of how, how legit was Maryland's performance against Penn State. How good was Penn State really after the Ohio State game? And how good was Maryland? The one thing we haven't talked about about the Penn State game is that Penn State has struggled on both sides of the line of scrimmage all year. Maryland has had terrible luck there as well, but they were able to outperform Penn State up front, and that's really why they won on a down-to-down basis. Again, the Penn State turnovers helped too. That is not going to be the case against Ohio State. I do not see Maryland holding their water at the point of attack either way. And so I think, really, of the scenarios I mentioned earlier, the blowout is the most likely outcome in Ohio State's favor. That's well, what I when think the matter. Ohio State losses happen, you tend not to see them coming lately. I suppose. I, I I suppose. So you this this has the feel to you of an Iowa or a Purdue? I don't know. Maybe because they beat Penn State last week, I think this one seems a little too obvious for maybe one where they hang <clears> on. <throat> Whereas the 2015 one where they where Maryland almost no no the 2018 one where Maryland and Matt Canada almost beat Ohio State. Yeah. Nobody saw that coming. I suppose. I wonder if that's going to happen this year, though, because you're talking about an eight-game schedule. So there's there's a lot fewer things to look forward to. You know, it's not like you're... I mean, sure, you've still got Michigan on the schedule, but it's at the end of the year. They're not what they usually are. Why, are you, why do you have one eye on them? You know, I, I just... And again, they had Penn State right at the beginning of the year. That was supposed to be their biggest challenge. Got that out of the way. I don't think there's anything left for Ohio State to look at except the next game before the last game, you know? So yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. If they do spring the almighty upset, you'll be on record as having called it because that's what you're predicting. I heard it. You can't change it. It's too late. Lead pipe lock. They're in the stage. They're basically, <clears throat> they're, they're, they're not. Ohio State's not to the boss fight yet, so they're, they're just going to try and hang out here and preserve their, their HP. As opposed to taking any chances. Speaking of taking chances, let's talk about a team that has agreed to play a football game against Wisconsin in 2020. Number 13, Wisconsin, going to the big house. The line is Wisconsin minus three and a half, and I don't understand. Wait a minute. What you have on here is Michigan minus three. Well, now I'm looking at a line that's apparently reversed itself. I don't know. So okay. the, line, the lines that were posted in the Slack initially, yes, Michigan was minus three. Now I'm looking at ESPN, and it's Wisconsin minus three and a half. Well, Wisconsin published a depth chart like a couple days before the Illinois game, so I imagine we'll have some idea of who's actually going to play in that game before it happens. Yeah. So and... that's going to have a lot to do with it because... Um, if we're talking about huge swaths of their team that are in contact tracing... But it's, I don't think that's going to be the way it is, though, because yeah. the latest report was that they had something like five cases that were still that were still you know active. I think it was three coaches and two players or vice versa. It did not sound like they were anticipating major groups of their team would be out. Now, that being said, they also suggested that if they were not able to play the Michigan game, that they would fold up tent for the season. So it is definitely possible that Wisconsin will roll out there regardless of who's available or not, if they're allowed to do so within the COVID guideline. Even if that means they're playing their four-string quarterback or whatever. But if they can't go, and then they just fold up shop for the season, then I guess that they just 
essentially say to Minnesota fans, oh, no, I guess we can't play. I guess we'll just take this axe and just... Um, guess we'll just keep this axe since we didn't lose. So that's... Yeah, it's, it's interesting because Wisconsin has a, certainly at some point had some practice, or at the very least they've had access to the gym. Yes, and I I don't think they're... It's not like they're going to be so rusty that they forget how to play or anything. They've got more tape on their opponent than is the case in reverse. I guess I don't see what about Michigan's current struggles is going to be resolved against remember what we saw of Wisconsin was a devastating defense and I get that Michigan has more playmakers and a more effective system for the most part but lost in all the criticism level that Don Brown has been the fact that Josh Gaddis is really not making very good use of his playmakers right now they're putting everything on Joe Milton's shoulders and against this Wisconsin front with their pass rushing linebackers with strong secondary play that does not feel like a recipe for success especially with an opponent that's going to want to hold the ball for eight minutes at a time on offense and can do it. Yeah, I mean... You know, and far be it for me to compare Illinois' offense to, you know, a functional one, a halfway functional one in the Big Ten, but... uh, There were times when Brandon Peters wanted to look down the field, and he did not get that luxury at all. Um, No, and Michigan... They're not going to be able to get a lot of long developing plays. And Michigan had some injuries on the offensive line, too. I'm not sure what the status of some of those guys are, but if they don't get Jalen Mayfield back or whatever, and they're playing redshirt freshman, true freshman against this Wisconsin front, it's going to be a long day for Joe Milton. So, you know, you add some point for the home field advantage, maybe not quite as important this year, but ultimately what you want to assess is Wisconsin, who would you take? Um... Wisconsin after a three-week layoff or Indiana if they were playing each other? Um, oh, gosh, I don't know. You'd have to think about it, yeah. which is why Wisconsin's definitely winning this game by a few scores. <laughs> right. Because uh, Wisconsin's at very least as good as Indiana. It would be kind of like Jim Harbaugh's Michigan to come back with an inspirational program-defining win. Maybe they right can the- borrow those hats. Yeah, right at the time that you kind of count them out for good, though, wouldn't it? So I do think Wisconsin wins this game, but I don't know. It, is Jim Harbaugh really just going to roll over and die like this? I guess that's... What do you mean, funny. die? How can he die again? <laughs> well, I think... So if you think in, in terms of various fantasy lore, if you have something like a Revenant or a White, no, it's, it may not technically be possible to kill it again if it's already dead, but... You can certainly dispatch it in such a way that it's no longer a threat, right? Banish it to the Shadow Realm. (laughs) Okay, Yugi. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what that's from? I think so. (laughs) At least that's what what the meme I've seen is (laughs) suggesting, so... Uh, I never partook of the game or the show myself, but anyway. Oh, uh, I think, I mean, yeah, that's right. That was, that was probably one of those kid-friendly translations. Where yeah, where it's like a card game, and if you lose, they send you to hell. Isn't that what that is? I think, I think so, but I think it's also a Dragon Ball Z thing where, like, they used to say that you would be sent to another dimension, <laughs> yeah. but really what happens in the show is you die. <laughs> and, you go to, and you go to hell, yes. Yeah, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. H-F-I-L. Oh, brother. All right. Let's, all right, so we've been putting it off. Let's talk about the game of the week. Are you prepared to talk to your children about undefeated Northwestern, undefeated Purdue in the second week of November? Oh, boy. I don't think so. I'll tell you what's going to happen in this game. Purdue is going to make some plays happen in the first half. Northwestern is going to put together a touchdown drive, look kind of anemic for a few. Purdue's going to lead going into, this, into the half. The third quarter will be played to a draw, and then Purdue will suddenly just 
just be running around like controllers are disconnected and like <laughs> like you tried to run play action on Heisman mode and you just that like they just have no idea what sport they're even playing anymore and Northwestern will come out of here with a one score win. <laughs> okay, so you're on record with that. It would seem to be a stylistic clash here, kind of like we described with the Minnesota-Iowa game, where you would assume the higher the score is, the better the chances are that Purdue is going to win, whereas if it's a lower scoring game, you like Northwestern more. I would point out that Purdue showed us in week one against Iowa, they are capable of playing in a slower paced, lower scoring type of game. I think that the possibility you mentioned is also very, is also a, a distinct likelihood. I would take the Boilers in this though, because I stayed aboard the Purdue train through all of their struggles last year, and I'm not cashing in now when my stock there is at an all time high. So I'm maintaining that. Now let's talk about the virus shaped elephant in the room. Elsewhere in the country. Auburn, Mississippi State was postponed today on account of the coronavirus. It sounds like Alabama LSU was also in jeopardy of being canceled. The SEC's had several other games canceled this year. You've had a few, you've had a lot of games in Texas canceled because teams can't pass. There were 10 games canceled last week. Yeah, and I, I don't think we're going to get to quite that number this week. Or maybe we are and they're just not, they're just pretending that group of five games don't count or something and they're just canceling those. But yeah, it's a paradox because in spite of the Mac starting up last week and we got the Pac-12 and Mountain West starting this, or no, Mountain West started last week too, the Pac-12 starting this week. You're about to hear a song from our dog correspondent if the sirens continue. But in spite of conferences coming online, yes, we are also seeing more cancellations. I too am mournful about this. I wonder if that's going to come through on the recording. Um, anyway, with each passing week, it feels as though this whole house of cards gets a little bit shakier, doesn't it? Yeah, but I mean, this is just what we're this is just what we've resigned ourselves to doing. I mean, hey, far be it from this podcast to deliver coronavirus news, but Pfizer reported a 90% success rate in the first phase of a vaccine trial. But guess what that means? That maybe by this time next year, it's ready for distribution. <laughs> yeah. uh, that doesn't mean that we're all going to have it by the end of the get, year. Yeah, you, don't get it by, you don't get it for Christmas. Because well, yeah, I mean, the, the first, first people trial. that are going to get it, are, like, basically before, before anybody... Before people like you, before anybody like you and me get it, the Utah Jazz will definitely have gotten like fifteen <laughs> shots apiece. Because of course, if it's anything like the testing, uh, being a member of the Utah Jazz proved to be the most <laughs> effective way to actually get your hands on the on these tests. Uh, you know, I'm going out for the combine again this year. Sooner or later, they're gonna respect my layup. <laughs> 